Hello and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. This is Jeff Hopkins. I'm here with Richard Manfredi and Michael Winfield. These are a, this is a great and team, Richard and Michael, and that's what the topic of this podcast is and teams. So uh, this was my selection of a subject. So I get to choose who goes first, and I'm choosing Richard to go first. Oh, thank thank you, Jeff. I'm sure it's because you know I'll get it off to a, a good start, right? You always get it off. That's for sure. Boy, um, so my first choice, I, I, I kind of had to. There's so many choices here. And there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of things. A lot of things that are in, something in something. Yeah, I think is with science has proven, uh, science and literature have proven. Um, so I kind of had to do the Michael thing and break this up into categories a little bit, or else there's just no way I could have handled it's it. Chaos. Yeah, yeah it would have been chaos all over the place. So I went with uh, comedy partnerships. And it was really tempting. I really thought about going with something that was contemporary and edgy. I was really pushing toward Penn and Teller because um, they were really, they've managed to be revolutionary in the fields of comedy, magic, and skepticism. That's pretty good. That's three pack right there. And just as a side note, if you ever get a chance to watch, they made a film called Penn and Teller Get Killed back in the 80s. It's incredibly dark and twisted and it's funny. And if you like Penn and Teller, just it bombed in the box office. Go see it if you, if you ever get a chance to. But that's not your choice. <clears throat> that is not my choice because while I was doing some research, I fired up the Who's on First routine from Abbott and Costello on YouTube. Yeah. And I laughed. Yeah. And I kept laughing. And even though I knew the whole premise, I knew the punchlines, I knew every bit, I just kept laughing the whole way through. Well, as, as a good partnership... I also have Abbott and Costello. Oh, That's wow. incredible. You know, it's you know what's wild is that uh, the first thing you lean towards was still another sports, uh, the sports aspect of this. So right. You're uh, well, sort of. I mean, that's no, that's I'm, the Abbott I'm, and Costello I'm pulling your chain a little bit, but um, no, Abbott and Costello are the best. Yeah, it's yeah the best. And I just it was amazing that you just watched it, and like I said, even though I knew you know the whole like wordplay and everything of it, it's just the the timing of it. In the way that they interplayed with each other. Mm-hmm. And this thing would just go so fast. And I think Jerry Seinfeld has talked about the fact that the whole like interplay in the back and forth is happening so fast that your brain as the viewer has to like take a second to process it and you're almost behind it. Mm-hmm. And then just when it was going too fast, they do something like the, I don't know, third base. Yeah. And kind of give you a second to let it breathe and mm-hmm. kind of like tense and tense and release. They gotta wind it up again. As Costello gets, uh, you know, he wipes his brow and stifles. Uh, Wax his head with a baseball yeah. bat, pulls yeah. a hat over his it. head. Yeah, it's well, hard, it's hard to sort of like reduce their career into one bit. No, what what was amazing about Abbott and Costello is that they were able to take their vaudeville act and apply it across a number of different medium. I mean, they went from, you know, the vaudeville stage together. Right. They started uh, in radio as part of uh, on a radio show, basically doing their act. Right. But then, you know, you had to tweak it to uh, you had to tweak it to a, you know, a radio show. But then the same thing, they basically applied their act in a bunch of different trades, whether it was movies with their, um, uh, you know, Abbott and Costello meet the fill in the blank. Right. Or, uh, you know, One Night in the Tropics or Buck Privates is that they played these characters that were just these archetypal characters of, you know, Bud Abbott is the straight man and Costello is like this, you know, bumbling, confused, innocent buffoon. Right. And but they did. They did. They've done them better than anyone else kind of ever has. Yeah. They almost. Cre- I mean, I don't want to say they, they certainly didn't create that archetype, the straight man and the, the kind of bumbling. No. They, they might have perfected it. And like you said, they were, I think, a really important transitional comedy role. Like you said, from that world of vaudeville. 
to kind of being able to modernize their bits a little bit more and mm-hmm. kind of take it a little bit away from the just the two man like patter a little bit yeah. sort of you know the way they're able to, like you said kind of take it from radio to television and film find a way to make it work as you're integrating these other supporting characters and like Frankenstein or Hercules yeah exactly some <laughs> of these real characters well, speaking of bridging like that routine is actually something that was very common in vaudeville like much of vaudeville there was a little bit of origination and a lot of uh, duplication so right. there were routines that were very similar to the who's on first with different names and things like that yeah and it was interesting that like with who's on first they could give you whatever length of that you needed mm-hmm. like if, if you said okay we need three minutes of yeah. it they, they immediately get, nail it three minutes. Or if you need eight minutes of it, mm-hmm. they'd stretch out to eight minutes. It was just they had that down so much. Was about about 15 years ago, my dad um, at a local theater here in L.A. was in a play called uh, Lose on First. And it was about the life of Bud Abbott and mm-hmm. Lou Costello. And my dad played Bud Abbott. And he and his uh, my dad, Chris Winfield, and his it's it, this other gentleman, Van Boudreaux, did Costello. And to this day, they will do like they know the the bits yeah. and they'll do them at like their local Christmas show. And it's weird. Cause like I used to run lines with my dad when I was a teenager as Costello. So like so many of the different back and forth and the bits and who's on first and flea flu and mm-hmm. seven times three is uh, 28. Yeah. And uh, it was a Susquehanna company. Yeah. Thing. And you <laughs> drive it. So there's like all these things that yeah. like I hear a little bit of it and it just, I have like a very personal, like, well, I, I can do a little bit of flea flu now yeah. or I could do like a little bit of who's on first. Right. And um, it's amazing how. Well, because it's, it's interesting, Michael, these baseball players today got so many interesting names. Oh, yeah. Like what kind of names? Well, you got a you got Dizzy Dean. Wait, you got Daffy on. Dean. <laughs> you know, I think the reason you guys are repeating it, the reason the audience would probably love to hear you do it is because I think like a going to see your favorite band live when you got the record, you want to see them experience it. And it's so fun to see the slow burns, the the pacing of that thing, whether you know the ending or not, which you do, of course. It's so right. fun to see them go through it. And, and they uh, they were also kind of war heroes in a sense. I mean, they didn't fight, but they well, they fought the mummy. They fought, they fought, the fought Frankenstein. <laughs> They fought the killer Boris Karloff. They lost against the IRS. I think. Right, they did yeah. lose. They, yeah. they did fight fight the uh, law and the law won yeah. on that one. But they, on their own dime, they went across the country during the during the war and would do uh, shows and routines to raise money wow. for war bonds. And they actually raised like eighty five million dollars in war bond sales. Wow! So you know they they, they built the warships. Yeah. They paid for the warships. You know yeah. they weren't out there fighting. So it's also interesting. The, as with any partnership, sometimes they didn't get along. They actually had a whole year where they didn't speak. And, you know, can we do that, too? Yeah. Starting now. Okay, good. Um, And the reason behind that, um, because Abbott had hired a domestic servant that Costello had fired. Oh, Costello got so mad about it that they don't only talk on stage for a year. Oh, is that right? That seems like a weird, like a weird thing to get like that offended about. But yeah. Yeah. That leads into something I want to talk about later, but when peaches ate off Herb's plate, like a (laughs) stole a French fry. Are you ruining one of my picks? Sorry. Okay, so we uh, both agree that we like Abbott and Costello. So I guess uh, uh, Michael, we're going to go to your two. All right, I'm going to go way back and talk about Adam and Eve. Now they teamed up to fight. Wait a second. The 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 sexy uh, uh, website where you can buy all sorts of. Listen, listen, listen to some of the accomplishments of Adam and Eve. They teamed up to fight Satan. Adam would use his powers to transform into a bucket of water, and then Eve would turn into a fowl. 
I got. Yeah, you you got. A, I got the wrong. Wait, okay. No, I'm not using. Is that. there a monkey involved? Is no. there clip flickers involved? Or is that the wonder? I'm not going to talk about Adam and Eve because that's boring. Because now it's Adam and Steve. That's right. Thank you very much. No, yes. I Thanks, actually. Obama. What's funny is you brought this up earlier. I am going to talk about Penn and Teller. Oh, that's amazing. Um, that's amazing. By the way, I'd like to point out that we we started this with. God, there are so many possible ways we can well, go we're with stupid. this. Stupid. I hate you, Michael. Well, I hate you too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I well, I was approaching this in terms of partnerships by like long-standing partnerships, like who had been together for a long time. And Penn and Teller, uh, magicians and illusionists, illusionists have been together for over forty years. Wow! And it's amazing that that kind of relationship, a business relationship, can last for that long when it's just two people. You mm-hmm. know, if you're in a band and maybe there are different personality traits that play off of each other. But, you know, reading about them, even as late as 2014, like in interviews, like Penn would basically say, we're not the best of friends. Like we our connecting tissue is the stuff that's on stage. We don't hang out. We don't really talk to each other. We talk to each other about business and magic, even though he still considers like a teller his best friend. They don't have that sort of relationship where they're talking all the time or. Well, obviously, they're, f- they're not talking all the time. Teller can't talk, Michael. <laughs> we all know this. Maybe that's maybe that's how the relationship yeah. works. It's, it's a secret one, to good one person is just this this booming. It's uh, like what, yeah, Michael, you should take a take a hint on this one. <laughs> all right, I'll that's be, why I'll, Jim Henson got along with Kermit the puppet really well. <laughs> He's just a piece of felt. So when he started tar- talking back, that he got into trouble. I'm on whose hand now? Um, I, I don't know. They're just uh, they've always been like as long as I've been alive, like these pop culture phenomenon yeah. of, and, and like kind of weirdo rule breakers, mm-hmm. but it's been this par- partnership that's just lasted and they've done, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of like uh, Abbott and Costello, they've kind of done everything. They've yeah. done TV and obviously their live shows. And mm-hmm. and like, like Richard brought, you know, in, innovative for um, not just what they represented, but what they were kind of thumbing their nose against. And that's the kind of the, Hokey, hokeyness of magic, and like the, yeah. the, they had, they did a PBS special in the mid '80s, and one of the bits, they get out on stage and they talk about how, unlike other comedians like David Copperfield, they're not going to rely on, on cheap video editing to mask their comedy. And then, of course, they do a whole two minute bit where it's like the most obvious, like video. bad video <laughs> editing type thing imaginable. Uh-huh. They broke they broke a lot of rules and kind of eschewed that like this the standard. Magicians, Creed, or whatever. Well, they they they'd show how the tricks were done, yeah, and show how their illusions are done, and that must have just driven people crazy. And yeah. maybe maybe there was some sort of like solidarity within, like right. we're both going to do this, and we're both going to be on the outs with people, but we're going to be so good and so mm-hmm. clever with our trick that we can do it in front of people, and people still can't kind of can't figure it out. Or well, yeah. So one of the interesting things about Teller, we were talking about him, kind of being presented as this kind of kind of mute, almost sort of like sadomasochistic. Or like a Harpo. Crashed, cra- yeah. Harpo, part, Harpo, part, crash test dummy. Yeah. Um, in real life, he's actually, Penn and Teller, Penn has said before, you know, Teller is the brains of the operation in a lot of ways in terms of designing the tricks, kind of being the business guy behind the scenes who makes all the deals. You know, he's kind of the... Uh, He's, he's, he's sort of the brains of the outfit. But like it's the just, Char- I've heard Charlie Watts is actually the leader of the Rolling Stones, so he's keep, <laughs> keeping the beat and making... Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Okay, guys, so uh, what's your second, Richard? All right, so my second, I was thinking about kids' media, cartoons, TV shows, things like that. And 
there's a lot of partnerships there as well, because I think you want to show people working together, um, sometimes working in disagreement, sometimes like Ren and Stimpy, people who are animals who are awful. As I had several on here, you know, I had been that really th- maybe it's just because my daughter is now getting into Animaniacs. I really had Pinky and the brain on the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went with Bert and Ernie anyway. Oh, for Christ's right. sakes. I can't. No, I didn't have that one. Oh, good. Because, <laughs> you know, best friends oftentimes, they don't have a lot in common. I mean, look at Michael and I. You know, one of us is brilliant, funny and handsome. The, the, there's Michael. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had to write I, all this down. I zinged you. Zing, zing Michael. Had, real good. He had to write real, down that terrible and obvious re, joke. Real good. <laughs> write it down. See, it's postmodern. It's such a bad joke. Actually, I think he copied joke. that out of Wikipedia. That's in Wikipedia. <laughs> That's actually on the Wikipedia for Burton Ernie. Under joke. <laughs> yeah. That's um, a joke. But there's no famous, there's, there's not a famous pairing that's uh, kind of proves that point more than Burton Ernie. I mean, the roommates, polar opposites. They're not lovers. Don't even start with that. I can see yeah. you making the joke. Oh. Don't make that joke. It's creepy. No, I don't make dumb jokes. Kids show. Don't say that. Um, so Jim Henson created them, and people have said they actually reflect the friendship between Frank Oz and Jim Henson. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, because they both liked shoving their hands up each other's <laughs> wazoos. Um, but Bert and Ernie were the only uh, uh, Muppets that were in the pilot of Sesame Street, really. And the fact that they work so well together kind of convinced everybody that the show should have more Muppets. Oh. And that the Muppets shouldn't interact with people. Mm. And that would be a really kind of smart way to do it. So if you think kind of the fact that Bert and Ernie are such a great pairing, that kind of created the whole template for Sesame Street. That mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing how many different uh, partnerships that we've talked about and probably will talk about, like have a, they kind of focus on like these opposites attracting yeah. Yeah. and like this push and pull and you need the neurotic Bert to uh, go crazy by, you know, Ernie leaving a mess or yeah. whatever he's, whatever. Uh, Oscar and Felix. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, there, there's, that's very much kind of an archetype. This is obviously, I, I can't really tell you who the straight man, don't make that joke. The straight man here is, I mean, I guess it's technically. No, it's Bert. Yeah, but then he he's has a his, weirdo that like you know, he's also has a weirdo a pigeon. Like he raises pigeons. Like he's a bottle cap collection. I feel like, like yeah. Like here, here's a list of weirdos who raise pigeons. Is Bert and, and Mike, Tyson. Mike Tyson. I also feel like Ernie could stay or leave because he's got rubber ducky. That's true. Ooh. Yeah, but 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 Bert's got what's the name of his his pigeon Bernice. Hmm. They've each they've each got foul. Yeah. yeah. Foul. Ernie's got Tweedlebugs. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie, I mean, they really kind of helped millions of kids for generations learn lessons of understanding, kind of acceptance. Yeah. And pigeons. I did feel so. like my brother and I were Bert and Ernie. We were at odds frequently. And hmm. that we. Yeah, but me, tell you about your eyebrows. You really need to start <laughs> plucking a little bit. I wish I had that much hair at the top of my head. Okay. All right. Cool. Bert and Ernie. Uh, Michael, what's your third? Um, one last thing about Bert and Ernie. If you watch Portlandia, uh, the two uh, Carrie and um, Fred. Fred. They each oh. have a C and an F carved into the top of their headboard. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, incredible. To, to, as a nod. Never to noticed Bert that. Early. Yeah. Uh, my third one. Um, I'm going to go back to childhood too. Uh, peanut butter and jelly. Oh, oh there you go. Is the perfect pairing of something sweet, something salty, uh, a sandwich that I really didn't eat growing up. So I don't know how I have liberty. I had like weird. Food stuffs and a weird palate. I had like Refer- re re kid cereal edition. That's right. No 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 milk in the cereal. I had 
like I, I couldn't I, I couldn't like mac and cheese like that weird parent when like two things were what? together I what? never had mac and cheese until I was in my 20s what I don't know and same thing with like peanut butter and jelly there was like I had like this mental block against it but now but now I've come to appreciate uh, the greatness of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and as a um it's just like a, a nearly perfect food I'm, the, I'm, 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 by the way I will back away for a second because I do not like jelly so I, this oh. I have no I have no I respect it, but I have no, I have no, have you, I have no. Have you had it with peanut butter? Because I will say this, <laughs> peanut butter by itself is kind of garbage. Uh, I like peanut butter. You you would just eat it by itself. I don't have a peanut butter sandwich. I've had peanut butter with banana How sandwiches. That's oh, a very Elvis-y thing to do. do. You, I don't fry them, though. I'm do not you a, recognize a the distinction, or do you, do you have prejudice towards jam versus jelly? Does it matter? No, I don't think so. I yeah. mean, I think it's jelly tends to spread smoother yeah, yeah and it tends to have a better application what's your feeling on the goober grape product they pre the pre-mixed one i'm against i don't know well i've never had it i imagine it you're probably you're against it on principle yeah it seems like it making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is like the easiest thing for yeah. a kid to learn to how to make yeah you put it peanut speaks, butter on one side and jelly on the other i mean it's yeah it's a two-part process. It speaks to a, a poverty of imagination <laughs> and culinary prowess. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a really good uh, series of quick uh, Mr. Show skits. They do a... a, a the Goober Grape. Well, yeah, because they do like a fake uh, commercial for... If you don't have the time to combine your mustard and your mayonnaise. Yeah. It's mustard nays, I think. Or, <laughs> yeah. And then like the next one it's is like... It's Yeah, the, then the next one is if you don't have time to like add cheese to it. I think like the cheese is already mixed in. Yeah. It's just like continues to devolve <laughs> from there. The peanut yeah. butter and jelly sandwich hasn't been around that long. Uh, it really? Uh, 1901. Uh, apparently that was when it was first like published mm-hmm. as like in a, a magazine. In a cookbook. Like that's, by the way, that's the world's worst cookbook. Um, <laughs> I think it was also used as, you know, peanut butter was used as kind of like a meat replacement in mm. terms of just like it was cheap. It was easy. You can make an easy to oh, eat sandwich. Right. Yeah, it's one so, of those poverty foods that just became a regular food. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Huh. We're gonna, was Donald re- Trump's going to kick it over, yeah. the, over the border well, pretty it's soon. Spam, like spam. It's kind of a b- b- byproduct. And then. So this would have been like, what, the night you said, like early 1900s then? Right? Is that when you said when it first was 1901. published? 1901. Early so, 20th century. So basically it was either that or dog food. That was like a replacement for that. <laughs> it was like a horse meat or something like that. Yeah. Um, is crust on or crust off? Uh, crust on. I I don't think that there's any. You don't have a crust. I don't have a crust thing. Uh, what type of bread? What's your what's although your bread? I, what's your bread of choice here? Smuckers does own the uh, they own the patent to crustless oh. peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You can buy like they're a like patent. called crustables. Yeah, oh, they uncrustables. Own, yeah. Uncrustables. Yeah. Crustables is just all crust. <laughs> that's the, just a wad. That's of, the worst sandwich. It's just a box with a ball of crust. That's what I want. Just pizza dumped in water. Pizza to come out with an all crust pizza or seven different kinds of crust. <laughs> a crust baked into a crust baked into a crust. I love I love the crust ducking. So what's your what's your what's your uh, bread of choice? Uh, I like a. Like a wheat bread mm-hmm. that's not like a, not with a bunch of like nuts and oats and things in it. Just a very simple wheat bread with a, a you know, a nice. I, I and like I don't have that weird. Like I think because I didn't grow up eating it, I don't have that. Like oh, I can't have it. Has to be smooth. I I didn't like develop all those bad, the bad PB and J yeah. habits yeah. where I can only have it this way because yeah. this is the only thing I knew. You so found it as an adult, so, yeah. chunky, smooth, different yeah. kind of jellies. It doesn't matter. Crust on, crust off. It's all right. good and delicious. Mount Rushmore podcast and you 
I can't think of a better team. So join us, would you, on our social media sites, the Facebook.com uh, Mount Rushmore Pod, and then at Twitter or at Instagram Mount Rushmore Pod, and join in on the dialogue. If we missed a and partnership that you like, let us know what it was. If you have an opinion about the ones we expressed, jump into the conversation and let us know what you think. And now back to our show. Richard, we are at your third choice. Okay, and I am going to stay on the food kind of a bandwagon or food wagon, mm. if you will. When were you on it? Oh, we were talking he never, about oh, he never got you're off on his. It. You're on his wagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna kind of keep on that. Uh, keep on the keep on the food train there. And I thought about a few here. I thought about chips and salsa because there's nothing that will screw up a Mexican meal more than delicious chips and salsa, salsa continuing to go into my mouth until I have no room for the actual food. It is it is really like a dinner or lunch ruiner. Yeah, right. Where you're just sitting there like, why did I why did I do this? <laughs> but it's so, but it's so get, good. It's like you, you, you get past that like, this is so good, this is so good. God, I'm so angry with myself. <laughs> right. uh, I thought about that. I thought about Jack and Coke, which Michael and I both, I think, have a, a love for. Mm-hmm. As evidenced by a couple of the recent episodes where you could hear a tinkling of glasses <laughs> from our ice and our Jack and Cokes um, as we devolved into madness. But I decided to go with uh, two hippies from Vermont. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, neither of them are Bernie Sanders. Um, but somehow we've let these hippies control our desserts over the past three decades or so. Um, I mean, there's no way Ben and Jerry should still be this popular. It just feels like it should be that thing that, like, in the it's 80s so, was, like... It's so yeah. niche. Yeah. And, like, they just have that really good marketing behind... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, it should have been something, like, in the 80s, there's, like, that, one of those, like, hey, this cool, like, ice cream thing that, like, five yeah. years later crashed and burned because they expanded too fast or yeah. whatever. Yeah, because they were around Benetton. Like, I feel like it should have been... Yeah, Benetton and Jerry's, yeah. Benetton and Jerry's. Yeah, so it, it should be. So it absolutely should be something like that because... They're just, they're making ice cream. Mm-hmm. But here it is 37 years later, and I can't go to a grocery store without seeing a pint or one of the stores, you know, out, out at the mall when I'm, that I ignore whenever I go to, into the movies, but it's still there. <laughs> Here's the crazy part. Ben from Ben and Jerry has anosmia, which means that he basically has no sense of taste and no sense of smell. That's wild. Which probably explains why we got peanut butter and jelly ice cream. <laughs> Which, how would you feel about that, by the way, Michael? Probably wouldn't eat it. Yeah. Or Ms. Jelena's sweet potato pie ice cream. That's the type of thing that you create when you can't actually taste or smell it. Those anything. sounds like a lot of mistake ice creams were like, like, oops, <laughs> oops, all sweet, oops, all sweet potato pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, but they hit more than they miss. Yeah. My personal favorite is the, actually the black and tan. Mm. That I don't even know if it exists anymore. I certainly haven't seen it in a while. Uh, it was a uh, like a stout and a pale ale type of ice cream. Is like what they're going after. So it's like a a stout vanilla with like a swirled chocolate. Uh, uh, yeah, so next time, next time that we're recording, bring that over. And uh, apparently, people didn't like it because it's you know named after an alcoholic drink. And how dare you sell an ice cream? That get out of here, guys. <laughs> that, that's kind of like that would be like a really fun kind of ideal job. Is just the guy that names. Uh, that names Ben and Jerry's ice cream. They just have to come yeah. up with something ridiculous. I used to uh, chubby hubby. I, I did that one. That's me. That's um, all me. I used to like a long time ago. I I really wanted to be the guy that wrote the wrote the menu or wrote all the jokes at like um, not Fuddruckers. What's Ferrells? Uh, no, 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 no. What's the like uh, TGI Friday? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. What was I? I 
I'm blanking on it right now. Yeah, Bennigan's or something. The, like, there's always like just those the uh, onion version of it, TJ McPickle shitters. <laughs> like, I want to be the guy that wrote like the really bad jokes on like the coasters. Yeah, and I figure like that's that's a great that's gig, the yeah. same guy. Also having coming up with uh, also the the uh, Rebuses and the bottle caps of uh, was it Mickey's that has a Lucky Lager. Would have those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Weren't the uh, Ben and Jerry kind of spoofed in City Slickers or their characters who were similar? No, to that? it was. It was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This these two like nerdy, tremendous yeah. fat guys. Fat yeah. guys. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, basically oh, where he puts. That's right. He's like he's like baked beans and he's like scoop of chocolate, yeah. scoop of vanilla. And then like they're high fiving and he's like, <laughs> how do you know? How do you know? You're, how do you know? He's like, I just know. Yeah. Right. You know, and and they've they've stayed true to their roots. They're still hippies at heart. They they donate to a lot of causes. Still, they give out free ice cream, mm. free ice cream days. Mm-hmm. That's that's I'm 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 on board with anything with that. And really, they're the go to ice cream for college students putting on their freshman fifteen, mm. or uh, stock romantic characters in a comedy yeah. who've just broken up with their boyfriend and or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't go wrong with it. I yeah. think it's also the first ice cream that is kind of very liberal because it seems like they support. Well, I think of them, the Cherry Garcia. It's got right. a, a hit. World Peace. Imagine hit. World Peace. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, because when you think of like dryers, I think we're actually uh, clan members. Yeah, that's totally. I, I don't yeah. know that. Don't sue us, guys. I don't want big. I don't need big ice cream coming after yeah. us. But <laughs> the only uh, speaking of big ice cream, that's my only uh, qualm with them is that. They only put out their ice cream in those like small, tiny, tiny buckets of mm-hmm. oh, ice cream. Like, put out a gallon, you guys. <laughs> Let's really get to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I. This is America. That's right. We yeah. need more than a pint yeah. at a time, you guys. Scumbags. Should, uh, we should also uh, let you know we're happy to report that uh, if you go to mountrushmorepodcast.com, there is a printable coupon for a free pint of Ben and Jerry's no, ice cream. No, we, we couldn't get the... Didn't oh, do that where, where at participating uh, grocery stores, are you no, saying nobody's no. participating? No, we got that. We, we did get Dippin' Dots, so. though. Oh. So, the, the ice cream of the future. The ice cream that burns just, your tongue immediately. <laughs> go go get as many as you can. I'm, we're authorizing you to get, just go steal Dippin' Dots. <laughs> Don't eat them, though, because they're miserable. They're awful. Okay, Michael, it's time for your last... Choice. My last one is I wanted to have kind of a failed partnership, oh. um, although successful, but ultimately kind of failed. Simon and Garfunkel, oh. who it was such a one-sided partnership yeah. in reality. Yeah. Paul Simon wrote all of their songs, except for like two or three. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he was the main driving force. And uh, it's funny, later on, you look at like their solo work and all Garfunkel had was that haircut. Yeah. As yeah. like his main like He brought the high melodies. He brought <laughs> yeah. the high perm. Um Simon Garfunkel, obviously a folk music heroes, and they're the number one band in the world at some point. Mm-hmm. And the greatest duo of all time musically. Yeah. And know. uh sorry, Indigo Girls. <laughs> yeah, sorry, she and him. Take that Millie Vanilli. <laughs> Matt and Kim. You mm. guys are done. They were just the, the the number one band in the world, number one group in the world, and they just because they didn't like each other. Yeah. They broke up. And yeah. that and also because, like, I think Simon at some point realized dead weight over here. <laughs> yeah. I, like, these were two guys that, like, but they always kept getting back together. Mm-hmm. They didn't hate each, each each other enough that they didn't see the opportunity of, like, 
But was it the, for you know, the commercial concert. benefit? Did it was like Central well, Park? Well, the, the, the concert uh, in Central Park, one of the reunion sort of ones, the yeah. big reunion one, five hundred thousand people attended, which is a crazy yeah. number. Um, it's almost it went, like a Bernie Sanders rally. Yeah. What, it went, what was interesting was it went to refurbish and restore the park, which had become overrun with warriors and baseball furies <laughs> and the Lizzies. And, and also, most of the money probably went to restoring the feet, the park after five hundred thousand people trampled over it. <laughs> that's right. right. Those the, that gang of, of punks from Police Academy 2 with Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> I always imagine Art Garfunkel just called up Paul Simon and asked him to come over and help him move a couch. <laughs> and he shows up and there's a big crowd there and he goes, hey, would you do a concert with me real quick? Ow. There's a great Saturday Night Live skit from, I want to say it was like the early 90s, late 80s, like the, one of the, the Phil Hartman, like Jan Hooks kind of era. And Paul Simon was guest hosting and like he's in line with Victoria Jack Jan Hooks, I think. Uh, to see a movie and people keep coming up to him and like it gets progressively more and more like it starts off like hey you know we had dinner at someone's house went, oh yeah I remember you and it keeps going on to like hey I, you, I don't know I saw you one time in concert in like 78 um, I don't know if you remember but like I shout out for the bo- yeah you shout out for the boxer and I'd already played it <laughs> like yeah because I was in the bathroom I didn't hear it and it's like this amazing <laughs> thing and at the very end Art Garfunkel comes up actual Art Garfunkel yeah. hey Paul how's it going of course, the punchline is Paul's like, do I, I know you? <laughs> so I have not done nothing out of that other uh, than other than at team. least they were able to, I think, on some level, recognize at, at least later on the inequality of the uh, the yeah. arrangement. You know, Paul Simon went on to write some pretty great albums. Graceland was incredible. Yeah. Um, Garfunkel had a little bit of a film career, though, I think. Uh, he sure. Was yeah. In like a Catch-22. Like, yeah. And yeah, I definitely think that the partnership was them stepping, I remember Paul Simon saying, I was sick of being the Everly Brothers with art, and I wanted to be Elvis by myself, hmm. and stepping out of that partnership and into a... <laughs> not, not at all egotistical right there, by yeah. the way. Oh, unfortunately, he stepped into partnership with Dom Utsit, uh, uh Carly Simon? He stepped into partnership. No, do you remember how many That's videos... Taylor, sorry. Do you remember how many videos he was in with Chevy Chase... And um, well, one's one. enough. One yeah. is enough. <laughs> Let's be honest here. I just remember in an era where Chevy Chase wanted to be in everybody's music video, and I just wanted to punch him. Okay, I think we're at the fourth for uh, Richard now. Also, by the way, with the Chevy Chase, you could have didn't have to say in everybody's music video. Yeah. You could just said, "I remember Chevy Chase and how much I wanted to punch yeah, him." How much I wanted, yeah. Probably good. It's crazy how much our picks are like interlapping, Michael. This is like weird because I I had Simon and Garfunkel for the longest time hmm. on here. And at the last minute, I was really ready to go with him because I thought Lennon and McCartney, such an easy choice. There's Simon Garfunkel, the greatest duo in music history. You know what? They weren't really a partnership. No. They were I'm Simon. Gl- I'm, I'm glad you. <laughs> and Garfunkel kind of just riding coattails and singing the high parts. It's like Orville making a plane, Wilbur drunk in the corner. The Wright brothers were not a team. Right, but they were brothers, so therefore yeah. they were they were stuck together. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the case with Lennon and McCartney. I mean, sure, some of the songwriting credits, mainly they were only were Lennon and McCartney songs by by the end, certainly by like the White Album. Um, and even a lot of the songs that they wrote, quote unquote, together before that were ones where one person did a majority of the, of the lifting. Um, you know, anything like Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields, those are all like a Lennon song or a McCartney song. And maybe the other one contributed a little bit. Um, but even you take those songs away, I mean, think about a song like Day in the Life, which was Lennon had this scrap of a song 
couldn't figure out how to finish it. McCartney comes in, has this scrap of a song, kind of the ones are becoming the, the middle bridge part of it. They find a way to kind of merge it together, and it becomes like the most famous, like kind of epic yeah. song in rock history. Or even something like We Can Work It Out, where you've got this real kind of cynical, like unsure if this is going to work out sort of middle section from Lennon, kind of counter cutting through and counterbalancing. McCartney is a very optimistic uh, verse section. And even, you know, I think even more than that, even if they weren't co-writing the songs, like as they would say, literally sitting down nose to nose at the piano and working through the songs, I think they just influenced and informed each other so much. Like a song like uh, Oh Darlin, which is a McCartney song, but it's definitely a McCartney song of him trying to write a John Lennon kind of 50s inspired mm-hmm. rocker type of song. And it works. Yeah, definitely kind of fire and ice that brought out the best in each other. And I think a partnership that was also an internal rivalry. Yes. Each of them wanted to be the person who had the A side. Mm -hmm. Each of them wanted to write a song that was as good as a Chuck Berry or as good as a Bob Dylan or as good as a Brian Wilson. Right. And to top the other one's skill at accomplishing that. Yeah, I mean, and they, you know, I've read read a lot about the Beatles and in the studio. Oh, they were in the Beatles. Yeah, oh, sorry. Did I not mention that, guys? Oh, sorry. I, I was thinking the other. I, I, I was thinking the I other assumed, Lennon and McCartney. Sorry. I, I assume for all the albums that they put out together and all the times they toured together is right. you know, Lennon and McCartney, which you know. They, oh, you're thinking of of uh, Vladimir Lennon <laughs> and Charlie and Joe, Joe McCarthy. And Joe McCarthy. It's an easy mistake to make, Michael. I have on this Talk list. About, wow, uh, a bunch of known <laughs> ventriloquist dummies. <laughs> um. <laughs> And, and, I mean, they were just different types of people, but they, they they brought something to the other person. I mean, Paul would show up. He was very focused in the studio, knew what he wanted to get. Lennon would show up and like for benefit of Mr. Kite would sort of just tell George Martin, like, I want it to sound like a circus. Make it happen. And they kind of just they, they fed off each other. Like you said, they were there's a rivalry, a friendly rivalry there for a long time. Kind of just pushed each other. So, yeah. Yeah, look, I, it's look, it's Lennon and McCartney. I right. don't I don't feel like I should have to defend this one much further than that. Star and Harrison are crying some more saying like <laughs> We did a, we did a one we did one too. I brought the sitter. Nobody else had a sitter. Peace and love. Peace and love for uh, Ringo. Yeah. Okay, so uh, these gentlemen have registered their Oh I forgot Holland Oats. <laughs> too late. Uh, <laughs> the vault has been closed. The end vault has been closed. Hall and Oates will just have to linger outside. Come on, is that a partnership? Well, Oates is used to lingering around anyway, so it's <laughs> well, no big do, deal for him. I do like, I do like that, that, that uh, Garfunkel and Oates became a, a comedy, a comedy yeah. group. Yeah. They're I'm just right, like, yeah. these, <laughs> these two has-beens on each side. Yeah. Michael, before we uh, wrap up, I am sh- just oh. gobsmacked wow. that you did not have Jeeves and Worcester on there. I, I thought it was too niche. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I know you love them so much. I do love them. I, they're incredible. Mm. But I, you know, All right, you got well, to make it on Mount Rushmore. Can't be niche. Uh, so while I mentally tally up who indeed is the winner, and there is a winner this time, uh, I'm going to go down the Jeeves and Wooster route to a comedy team that is really influential for me. This is my and choice. This is the judge's choice. This is Bob and Ray. Ooh, love it. I know really a lot, a lot of people might know who Bob and Ray are. If you know Chris Elliott, then Bob Elliott was Chris Elliott's dad. But they were a very influential comedy team whose career spanned five decades. 
And I guess when David Letterman wasn't imitating a Steve Allen or Ernie Kovacs, I think he was definitely imitating their deadpan style in that Letterman came from kind of a world of broadcasting in which your first job wasn't to be funny. Um, So did Bob and Ray came out of the radio world where they were just going to deliver straight news and then develop this kind of subtle sarcasm and irony that really, I think, influenced a lot of the uh, single camera deadpan comedy that you see on TV um, in something like the British office, the American office or Parks and Rec, where it's really not over the top borscht belt comedy like Milton Berle, but just very subtle winks and nods. They weren't about punchlines and a lot of their they wouldn't do sketches where it's like premise set up. Yeah. Big punchline laughs go on yeah. to the next thing. A lot of it were just sort of almost like the they were almost like the godfathers or grandfathers of like improvisational comedy. Yeah. Where one of they would just take these two roles. And a lot of times they would do it in the form of like a interview mm-hmm. or man on the street sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and there was never like a set. One of them was a straight man. One of them was the, that's the wacky right, funny that's, guy. That's right. I think they also tried to kind of occupy the almost where where a guy like um, a guy like Milton Berle or Bob Hope wanted to be the sharp quick-witted MC who was the center of everything. Bob and Ray liked to pretend to be these kind of weirdo characters who were um, the uh, average people. So, Or a lot of times they would try to... And I'm, I could probably... I could, I could do like 30 minutes on on uh, Bob and Ray because yeah. I... I, I they kind of had this like renaissance, I think, like in the 80s. Yeah. And I remember that back that, on like, Broadway when, in the 70s. Yeah. And then like the they come on Letterman all the time, mm-hmm. yeah, all the time, obvious connections with, yeah, with, I think, with Chris Elliott. But also, you know, like the they do, the, they would do a lot of these commercial parodies in their like TV mm-hmm. shows where they kind of end with this like, well, friends, we have, you know, uh, by mistake, we wound up with an extra two million stamps that are two cents when we all know that it's a yeah. five cent stamp and or we do a whole bit about that. Ad for metal ing- ingots or flypaper or something that was just really deadpan. Or mushies, the cereal that gets soggy even without adding milk. <laughs> Fun stuff. So uh, maybe we'll have the opportunity to leave a link. And yeah, please. By the way, guys, just um, thank you for listening. Thank you wherever you're listening. Please go to our website, uh, Mount Rush- MT- mtrushmorepodcast.com. We have the show notes on there. We put a lot of links with information YouTube clips, stuff like that about the things we're talking about. So there's a lot of good content on there. So please make sure you check that out um, after you get a chance to listen to the show. I think there's a lot of cool stuff on there you'll enjoy. Yeah, I read through them and make me it makes me hate Richard's picks uh, just a little bit less. <laughs> All right. So I have had time to mentally calculate using an algorithm of my um, invention who the winner is. And this was a real close one, uh, but I didn't want there to be a tie because those are boring. Did I tell you how much I love that, Bob? and Ray pick, by the way. Richard is the winner of this episode <laughs> of the Mount Rushmore <laughs> podcast. And probably because I think he really stuck with a theme. And that uh, was these partnerships in which uh, a, there was a lot of internal conflict within the people. And that conflict is what made them great. You know, I realize that peanut butter and jelly has its own kind of. God, I should have gone without crusts. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ama- and amazingly, there's a lot of kind of cooperation in some of those teams. So um, so I really liked Richard's picks. And Richard is the winner. Good job, Richard. Richard. Thank you. Richard gets a big kiss from me. Open mouth. Here it comes. <laughs> All right, that's that delicious. That's all the time because Richard and I. Did are you gonna... have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before? <laughs> I'd like to know. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been Jeff. This is Richard. And Michael. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>